a story of, been told of uh, a little baby eagle. And just uh, to help us with that, we'll call him Eddie, Eddie the Eagle. Um, he entered the world violently forcing his way out of an eggshell to discover he was sharing a nest with his brothers and sisters on top of a very tall tree. Um, but one day, a strong wind shook the tree so much that poor little Eddie fell out of the tree. Down he tumbled. And he landed and found himself on the grass where there was a hole. So he kind of hopped into this hole and found that he was in uh, a rabbit den. And not realizing that he was very different to them, the baby rabbits kind of just got to know Eddie and basically he became one of them. He was adopted into the family and he grew up learning to live as a rabbit. He hopped and he jumped. He lived in the family burrow. He lived on a diet of grass and vegetables. And of course, all his life, Eddie struggled with a sense of inferiority because he knew there was something different about him. didn't look like them. He was always the last one chosen when it came to the hopping games. And he was often ill from eating too much grass. And then one day his life changed. Eddie and his rabbit friends were, and family were out in the field playing when a, a dark shadow spread across the ground. The rabbits looked up and hurtling towards them was a mighty eagle. They, they ran as fast as they could and down into their burrows, but Eddie couldn't run as fast as them. And he stopped and looked and realized, this is going to be it. I'm a goner. The eagle drew closer and closer. Eddie braced himself for that inevitable when he heard the eagle say, what are you doing hopping on the ground like a rabbit? You're an eagle. Spread your wings and fly. Startled by the shock of what happened and confused by the eagle's words, Eddie started to move those useless things by his side. He stretched them out, began flapping, and before long found himself lifting up from the ground and soaring effortlessly. That day, Eddie discovered he wasn't made to hop along the ground, but to soar through the skies. It's said that this is a fantastic image of us, how God created us to be his image on earth, created us to be something different, and yet we live so often as something we're not meant to be. We grow up in societies that tell us we're something other than what God made us to be. And when we discover our true nature, we're able to soar through the skies, becoming everything we were created to be. Come back to that in a moment. Over the past few weeks here at ABC, the sermon's been very much about what God has done for us, our identity in him, understanding of who we are in Christ, what that means for us, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived as a man, died on that cross, and somehow supernaturally paid the cost for all of our wrongdoing, also known as sin, and opened up the way of relationship to us. So fantastic, we've learnt all about what God has done for us. We've learnt that we are eagles, not rabbits. But why I don't like that illustration about Eddie the Eagle 
And you might think, oh, it's quite nice. But I actually don't like it. It's because Eddie immediately began flying and had no further problems. Suddenly became an eagle and everything was okay again. Well, that's what's implied in the story. It was like a 100% transformation that implied no further issues with his former life. But our lives aren't like that, are they? If we're honest, living the, the Christian life isn't always easy, isn't often easy, isn't nice, isn't easy. And the way we were often still affects us. John Newton wrote, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So ready for the big word for today? Sanctification. There's the big word. Sanctification. And that explains, we're going to explain what that is today. That follows on another big word that we've heard about these last few weeks, justification. And in our justification, just as if I'd never sinned, we talk about what God had done for us to take away the sin. Completely forgiven in Christ. Sanctification, which follows on from that, is the process by which the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ in what we do, think, and desire. True sanctification is possible It is only possible because of what the work of Christ has done on the cross. Only because after our sins are forgiven can we then begin to try and lead that holy life. But one danger with this, as we see in the Eddie the Eagle story, is that we can begin to believe that if we're not perfectly holy 100% of the time, and I'm I'm obviously not a good Christian and I'm not a proper Christian and maybe God actually hasn't worked a miracle in my life because I keep doing those things I know are wrong. Thankfully, that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible does not say the moment you become a Christian, sanctification starts, justification happens, all those long words, Christ has done for you, that's it, 100% perfect person. No, it doesn't say that. That's the lie that the devil wants you to believe. Because then you start thinking, oh, I'm not what I should be. Let's look at a few things that help us understand what this sanctification thing is all about. In the book of Romans, the first five chapters, Paul is setting out the gospel message to the people of Rome. He's telling them about God's thoughts about sin and, and how he's dealt with it, that Yeah, we're not good enough to deal with it ourselves. How we need God in order to do that. It's about coming to the point of being saved in Christ. Uh, Another technical term of, of God releasing us from our past and giving us a new life. We saw Roy take off his old clothes, put on a new cloak. Uh, Just about a new life, a new way of living, receiving that forgiveness. And at the end of chapter 5, we hear about how God's grace is shown in our forgiveness of sins. When, when someone comes to God, we see God's grace at work, which led some on to believe, oh, great, 
So if I keep on sinning then, I'll get more forgiveness and we'll see more of God's grace at work. Which is a bit of a twisted way of doing that. Of saying, of seeing how God's grace works. And so that's why in verse 1 of chapter 6, as we heard it read, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So they think, right, if I sin, I get forgiveness and God's grace. Fabulous. So I'll sin some more so I can have some more of God's grace. And he says, what are you thinking about? He says, by no means. I love some of the other translations. He says, God forbid that you would keep on sinning for that reason. No, no, is another translation. Certainly not. And most British of all is the J.B. Phillips translation that says, what a ghastly thought. (laughs) Can you imagine the Apostle Paul standing there going, what a ghastly thought. I love that. But you get the sense of what Paul's saying. Don't be daft. But why, as Paul continues, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that those of us who were baptised into Christ and to Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death. So that just as Christ is raised, we can be raised to a new life through the glory of the Father. New life. And we've heard a bit about that over these last few weeks. Great, so old sinful life gone, new perfect life arrived. Hmm, anyone here who's a Christian never sinned since you became a Christian? Good, no hands, that's fabulous. So what's going on? Hang on, old life sin gone, new life no sin here. But why do I keep sinning? The fact is that sanctification, that bringing us to holiness, to be more like God, separating us, is both a completed act, it's happened, but also a continuous act. We see in Hebrews 10, 14, and the writer says that by one sacrifice, Christ, he was made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. It's something that has happened A truth that exists, that has happened, but also something that is continuing to happen. Completed and continuous. Completed in the sense of, in verse 6 of our reading, our old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin. And the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, we count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And there's a good phrase there, dead to sin. Colossians 2 verse 11 says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised in Christ, when you came to Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and then raised with him through your faith. One commentator, Philip Ryken, says, the phrase dead to sin is often misunderstood to mean that Christ died for our sins. That is true, of course, and our salvation depends upon it. But it's not what Paul is actually saying here in verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. Christ died to sin. In other words, the crucifixion ended the relationship between him and sin 
the relationship to sin once and for all, between us and sin. As soon as Jesus died, he was done with sin forever. From that time on, sin had no claim upon him and thus had no power to hold him. Now, the difference, of course, and I'm not saying that Christ sinned. He was perfect. He was able to say no to sin, whereas we are not when we are still in sin. And so in our relationship with Christ, we too die to sin. Before we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, we were alive to sin, attached to it, unable to escape it, but now we are dead to it. We were able to do good things, and of course, many people do good things, but we were unable to stop doing bad things. At the point of Christ's death and at the point we connect ourselves with him, that cord is cut. But like a, a relationship gone bad. And you hear the phrase, someone saying, you're dead to me. You mean nothing to me. You're of no interest to me anymore. You've, you've got no control over me anymore. You're dead to me. It's not a very nice thing to say to someone. But it's that sense of, that's it. You've got no more control over me. But we come back to that question. Great, but why do I keep sinning then? Because evil in this world and the temptation to do wrong isn't removed until we get to heaven. We're still in that sinful world. And Paul recognizes that in our passage because he doesn't say, therefore, you will not sin again. He goes on to implore his readers, please, don't let sin reign in your body. Don't offer yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God. Because you're not long and under sit under law. You're under grace. Sin is no longer your master. He recognizes there is every opportunity to sin, to do wrong. But the point is that now, dead to sin, we are no longer bound to it. It has no authority or hold over us. We can say, no, I'm not going to do that. We're still tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way. We can say, no. And that's the kind of difficult to understand spiritual truth, the completed act of sanctification. So what about the actual practicality then? How do I stop doing those things that I know are wrong? Well, that's where the continuous, ongoing part of being holy, of becoming holy, of sanctification comes in. We've been sanctified, set apart, made holy, but we are also continuing to be made holy. It's a journey. And firstly, we see that spiritual growth begins with belief and knowing. Verse 3, don't you know? Verse 6, verse 9, for we know. Knowing the message of salvation by grace. Knowing that he's delivered us from sin. In our struggle to grow in godliness, we try one method after another. We read books, we start programs for personal devotions, we fast, we pray, and we, we commit to never sinning again, and yet we do. And we feel spiritually defeated. Now, these things aren't bad to do. In fact, we should do those kind of things. But it's not necessarily about the things we do. It's more about where we're starting from. Am I doing them 
because I think they will help me work this out? Or am I doing them because I know God wants to work in me and work upon the basis of what I already know? There's a slight difference there. Real progress in holiness, says Philip Ryken, is starts with knowing that we are united in Christ in his death and his burial and resurrection. The way we conquer sin is first by believing what God did for us when he joined us to Christ. And that's what faith is all about, believing it. In Acts 26, Paul is sent by Jesus to the people in order to open their eyes so they may receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctification comes by faith, by believing, by knowing what Jesus has done as that starting point where we then say, great, and I want to grow. Leads on to the works that God has for us, which play a part in our ongoing sanctification. We are not saved by works, but by faith for works. And that's where, oh, if I need to do another Bible reading and another program, and I must do this, and I must do this, because those are the things that, that are going to get me saved. No, that's not the way it works. Those are the things you do in order to grow because you know that you've already received that salvation. And as we see through the Scripture, we see in Ephesians 2, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us. And we see the process of holiness, of sanctification, is something that we're encouraged to work at. It begins with faith, but faith leads to works. Philippians 2, continue to work out, to live out your salvation. Live in the light of it. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to be holy. How? 2 Corinthians 7, purify yourself from everything that contaminates the body and spirit. 1 Peter 2, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And in this sixth chapter of Romans, we see Paul giving us his first do's and don'ts. Do count yourself as dead to sin and alive in Christ, and don't let sin reign. Don't give in to evil desires, or don't offer yourself to sin. Great, sorted. There we go, there's the do-don't list. Sorted. (laughs) Really? But I'm weak, and I often give in. How do I deal with this? Well, I can't. But I, with God, can. And this is where God's Holy Spirit comes and takes center stage. Because if we've said yes to Jesus, then we have his spirit in our life. He's the helper, the comforter, the speaker of truth. The Holy Spirit at work in us is what makes sanctification possible that process possible. God doesn't leave us on our own. So, right, I've done this for you. You've accepted, right, off you go. Just get on with it. And then at the end, it's like, well, you didn't do a very good job there, did you? He doesn't do that, setting us up to fail. He says, right, I've done this for you, and now I'm going to give you the helper to help you work it out and help you live in the light of it. It's a joint partnership. We can't just sit back and do nothing, leaving it all to him, And when it goes wrong, well, Holy Spirit, you weren't really working very well in my life there, were you? But remember, works, because of salvation, not creating salvation, we still have a part to play, like a a driver and a co-driver in a rally car. They have to work together. We're still driving, we're still in control of our lives, but we've got the Holy Spirit guiding us and telling us, 
well, there's a sharp bend coming up, look out. I remember at college, at Bible college, conversation with, uh, with good friends of mine um, about this. And we were led to um, a, a verse which was easy to remember because it's Jeremiah 24-7, and it's 24-7 every hour of every day that this is truth. And Jesus, uh, God is telling his, his people who've um, been exiled, he says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. God wanted his people to turn to him, and he didn't just stand there waiting, right, well, when you're ready, come back, I'll be here. He actually goes and says, and here's the heart that you need in order to do it. Amazing. It's like someone saying, uh, the car salesman waiting, I want someone to buy my car, but actually going to someone saying, here's the money, come and buy my car for me, off me. God's saying, I want you to know me, and here's the way of knowing me. He wants me to love him, and he gives me the heart to do it with. I can't do it in my own strength. Struggle to not sin, and I struggle to not do these things. And God says, I'll give you the way of not doing it. I want you to not do it, and here's the way of not doing it. Here's my spirit. Here's my heart. Here's my love. And how do I commune with the Holy Spirit? Well, different ways, but essentially prayer. But not just a, right, I've done my three minutes today. That will keep me going for the rest of the day. Constant communication, constant relationship with God. An ongoing conversation. And key as well to this is verse 13. We're told what not to do. Don't offer yourselves as instruments of wickedness. Don't do this. Don't do that. But we're also told what we should do instead. Offer yourselves to God. And that's the, dare I say it, simple answer to conquering sinful desires. Focusing our efforts and spending our time on God things. Because the more God stuff I do, the less I want to do non-God stuff. The more I'm looking at God in this direction, the less I'm looking away from God in this direction. I remember when at college we were kind of just talking about this, saying, wow, it's so simple and yet so hard to do, and yet so simple. And actually, God says, don't do that. Do this, and here's a way of doing it. And the more you do it, the more you want to do it, and the less you want to do there. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Because if you're thinking about those things, you're not thinking about the other things. Looking in God's direction means we're not looking in sin's direction. And if we're doing those works that we've just talked about that help us with that sanctification, we're doing those, we're growing more in God, we're going to want to grow in him more, we're going to want to love him more, and so we're going to do more, and so we're going to grow in God more, and it's a circle. But there's always that risk of, I'm still in control, and I can still break that circle, and I can still look away. Thankfully, God's still there with a forgiving, gracious heart. But this is the way of sanctification, of holiness, 
the Holy Spirit guiding us. God's given us what we need in order to focus on him. And the more we focus on him and grow in him, the less we want to do those other things. In constant communication and communion with the Holy Spirit means we won't hear the call of sin. Or if we do hear it, we're too excited about what God's showing us that we won't want to listen. As one commentator said, things become holy when they are impregnated, imbued, saturated with him. With his help, through the Holy Spirit, by faith, we draw upon him who is our sanctification, and thus we grow in sanctification and grace and are conformed to his image. The victory comes by counteracting the sinful nature with the influence of another power, the new nature imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, convicts us and draws us nearer to God. And whatever the temptation, the Holy Spirit is the antidote. Transforms us by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12. He washes and regenerates, Titus 3. And he not only takes away the unchrist likeness but transforms us towards the image of Christ. He does it by taking the character of Christ and putting it in us, developing it in us, so there's less of self and more of Christ. And that's when even the desires to sin begin to fade. So wrapping it all up, God has sanctified us in Jesus Christ. He has set us apart, made us holy, saved us, brought us from death to life. That is complete sanctification. But we partake in Christ's death and resurrection, and so we die to our old life, which was controlled by sin, and we rise to a new life controlled by God through the Holy Spirit in our life. Sin no longer has a hold on us. We have the power to reject the desires. But of course, we can still easily give in if we want to. But the more we spend time with God, the less we're going to want to. And so we want to spend time with God, not as a work that will enable us to be saved, but because I don't want to be like my old self anymore. I want to be like him. And that's how we grow in holiness. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we focus more on God. And that is the continuing sanctification that God works in and through us. Lots of long and big words. But essentially it's, I love God a little and I want to love him more. And the more I spend time with him, the less I want to do those things that are against him. And that is how we grow in holiness. So for 30 minutes of talking, to wrap it down into one sentence. <laughs> Let's spend more time with him in our lives. Let's learn to love him a bit more. Father God, thank you for your love. We just can't really comprehend it completely. Never will. Until we're in your presence and then we'll probably get, we'll get it and we'll go, ah, that's what it was about. But right now, for those of us who've accepted your love and what you've done for us, we thank you. And we ask for your help through your Holy Spirit in us to make us more like you.
to give us the heart and the desire to spend more time with you and less time on those things that are not honouring of you. Help us to keep our focus in your direction, away from those other things, so that we can grow in you and be more like you. Not just for selfish reasons, but so that we can show you to those around us. Lord, work in us, I pray. We're going to listen to a...